All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Time Out Talk. We're your hosts, Raphael Singer. And Hunter Leon. And some pretty big news in the NBA uh, that's going to change a lot of things for next season and beyond. A uh, new collective bargaining agreement has been reached between the Players Association and the league. And there's a lot of stuff to cover in this, a lot of changes. So, Hunter, you kind of want to jump into the first thing here, which has to do with uh, the spending teams can can have. Yeah, yeah. So I think this is actually going to be really impactful. This helps out small market teams a good bit. Uh, basically, what's going to happen is for teams that are over the, the luxury tax by a certain amount being $17.5 million, like if you pass that threshold, uh, then you're no longer eligible to have your uh, mid-level exception, uh, which gives you access to like a, I want to say like about eight to $10 million player a year type. So this would impact teams like the Warriors who like have so many young players, uh, but were also able to sign um, a guy for the MLE. Um, mm-hmm. It would also impact a team like the Lakers, uh, like big markets who go above and beyond the threshold of where they're supposed to spend. Uh, and this will really help, help out a franchise like, I don't know, the Milwaukee Bucks per se. Maybe they don't have the same amount of money to compete with as a Lakers or a Warriors, even though they're a great franchise. Um, this this will just even the playing field, even among the good teams. Yeah, no, I like this change for sure. I think that I think one of the biggest uh, inequalities in the NBA has always been financials, because the bigger markets can always afford to go over the luxury tax and to get players on the MLE, and obviously. If you're a player and like one of the better MLE level players, you're going to want to go to one of the bigger markets where you're going to have a better shot at winning and also make a big time bag. So I like this. This also prevents. Oh, sorry. I was also going to say this also prevents like in this situation, like if you're the Lakers and Kyrie Irving wants to come to L.A., but you're going to sign all the guys this offseason. Oh, if Kyrie's going to come for the MLE, just come over here. And we can make, you know, a guaranteed squad to win the chip. That's not allowed anymore because there's a certain level. So, like, this really is going to deter all-star talent from taking a, a pay cut. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Did uh, did Boogie come to the Warriors on the MLE? I think he did, right? He did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that, so, that's, that's an example. Like... I mean, if, if he didn't get injured, it's the same exact scenario. Exactly. And so, I think this is good. I think that... Honestly, if the league wants to go even further to ensure ensuring like fairness and kind of parity across the league, at, at least in terms of financials, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Because I think I always think if you're a, a small market team, like say you're Sacramento, right, you are never going to be able to compete financially with like an L.A., a New York, a city like that. And so if I think the league kind of has to intervene and to ensure some equality, because otherwise... I mean, already regardless, we see all the star players gravitating toward the big markets. Like, it's, it's, the Lakers can't go more than like a few years without having a superstar level player play for them. And part of that is being located in Los Angeles. But the other part of that is the money and sponsorships and stuff that these cities kind of provide. Right. And so if you're a market like Sacramento or Portland or or one of these cities, you're never going to be able to compete in the same way. And so, I think this is a good step in the right direction. If at the next CBA agreement they go a step further, I wouldn't even be opposed to that. I think that would actually be a good change um, because I think that the, everybody wins when the league is more competitive. And so I think that mm-hmm. you know addressing it on a financial aspect is one way that you can help make the 
the NBA a more competitive league. Yeah, uh, I absolutely agree. Do you want to take it away with the, the next bullet point you got? Sure. And then just one more thing about this financial stuff. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see the NBA addressing this because in other sports, it's a really big issue. Um, like I think of baseball as an example where, you know, you look at the Dodgers every year and they just basically can spend infinite money on getting all the best talent in the league. Now, that doesn't necessarily translate to wins, but it's really not fair in the slightest how the Dodgers just are able to accumulate basically an all-star roster every single year. So good to see the NBA addressing mm-hmm. that. But yeah, as you were saying, another very notable change in the CBA agreement is that there's now going to be a minimum 65 games played in order to be eligible for all postseason awards. So this includes MVPs, defensive player of the years. I think it even extends to the coaches. So if coaches miss extended periods of time for whatever reason, they won't be eligible. Um, but yeah, this is really like a very important change. I think it can be a little underrated in certain senses because people will just see this as, oh, it's just some awards. Who really cares? But I really think this is going to be a big step toward changing the load management culture into making sure players are playing whenever possible. Um, we've seen people addressing this. We've seen guys like Anthony Edwards talk about this. Like, you know, I play try to play every single night that I can because player or people will spend their whole paycheck to see you and for you to sit out for no real good reason is like pretty pathetic. And so I like this change a lot. Um curious what your initial thoughts were after seeing this, Hunter. Yeah, I think it could really impact this you know load management culture or not even necessarily load management just encourage players to to play more games i mean we've heard countless podcasts countless players talk about how they want to play medical staff keeps them out or there's some players who just flat out don't want to play and if for those players who flat out don't want to play this could be a very big thing to push them to play because they want to get those end of season awards um so I th- I just think it's a net positive. Um, hopefully th- this does encourage those players and not just makes them be like, oh, screw it. I know I can't even get to that threshold because I feel like there might be those guys out there. But um, I want to talk about some notable changes, like some notable personnel um, in the past few years. Like if this 65 game threshold had existed in the past, some awards that would have been different. And I just want to get your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to start, uh, this is a really interesting one. LeBron James would have been the 2020 MVP over Giannis. Um, mm. So Giannis yeah. would not be a back-to-back MVP. Um, let's just start with that one because I think that's a pretty big one. Do you have any any comments on that? I mean, yeah, that would be a big you know feather in LeBron's cap to win an MVP. Would have really solidified that season as one of his personal best. I mean, obviously, Lakers won the championship that season. And people were talking about... LeBron making a late season MVP push that year. Uh, he really like elevated his game, especially in the second half of the season. And there was certainly was a very, very good case to make it. And for this, to, if this rules uh, or if this game's played rule was implemented, then he would have almost certainly like walked away with it because nobody else was really competitive. So I think this would have definitely like shifted a lot in terms of like legacy. I don't think we would, rate Giannis as highly if he wasn't a back-to-back MVP um, and didn't have that defensive player of the year as we'll like address in a sec but oh, that's true yeah I, I think that it's stuff like this that I, I think the rule is going to uh, really help 
Because even I, I think back even further, a guy like Kawhi Leonard, right? He won Defense Player of the Year, but if I'm not mistaken, I don't think he played above 65 games that season. Um, or at least like, you know, the seasons past that, I, I don't think he's basically played in a season above 65 games because of the precautions medical staffs take with him to not play him in back-to-backs or to rest him certain periods of time. But that's worse for the fans. It's worse for the sport when star players aren't playing. And so I think that the best way to incentivize that is kind of like what we were talking about, like make make you ineligible if you're just not playing the games. And so, yeah, I, I just want to make that comment. But I guess moving on, I want to ask you about this next one. Mm-hmm. Anthony Edwards would have won the 2021 Rookie of the Year over LaMelo. Thoughts? Yeah, I, I do remember that season, LaMelo sitting out for a while, and Anthony Edwards kind of came swooping in. LaMelo had a really great start to his rookie season, and Ant-Man was a little slower. And then I remember mid to late season, he made a really big push for it. And he, obviously throughout his career, Anthony Edwards so far has been one of those Iron Men. Iron men. I mean, this season he's played every single game, and there's very few players and very few All-Stars you can say that about. Um, mm-hmm. So he definitely um, would have – I wouldn't say – that doesn't really change your like career trajectory or change like your legacy if you win Rookie of the Year because obviously it's not your first season. It's how, how your career looks overall. Um, but I definitely think it, it would have – changed a little bit of how he maybe viewed LaMelo Ball. Because, I mean, think about this season as well. He's basically sat out the entire season. Hornets are tanking a little bit, but at the same time, he's had major injuries. And, you know, I think last season is, was his, like, only predominantly healthy season. I mean, yeah, I think so. He has been dealing with health issues. Um, and that would definitely change the way, you know, we look at LaMelo. I mean, he was an All Star last year, so we can't forget that. I don't. Th- I don't think this one is that as impactful. I think no, that I, I would agree, uh, but it I rewards that, Anthony Edwards for sure. And I think one thing I'm curious to see from this change is like, are are we gonna see Iron Man like Mikhail Bridges or like Kavon Looney, just as an example, like be more present in these conversations because certain stars are just not gonna be able to make it. Like LeBron is always in the MVP conversation, whether he deserves it or not, just because he's LeBron. But I don't think LeBron is really going to ever have another 65-plus game season where he's able to play that many games just due to his age, just due to his health. Um, you know, you just – your body's just, after you have that much mileage on it, not able to play 70 games in a regular season. And nor should he. Like, he should be focusing on the playoffs. Yeah. So will LeBron um, ever get another All-NBA? Probably not. Yeah, this – that that's true because this does expand to all NBA. So I think that this has been a change. Like I think players are gonna age less gracefully because the all NBA selections will stop coming in as, you know, the injuries accumulate. And so I think that players are gonna like fall off and become like quote unquote washed a lot harder because they're just not gonna have the accolades anymore. Um, which I think is gonna be interesting to see. But yeah, I think um, like you were saying with Mikhail Bridges, though, I think like yeah. we'll co- consistently see him in defensive player of the year conversations at the very least every single year, along with a guy like Rudy Gobert. I mean, they're they're both guys who've been in that conversation and have won it. But I feel like especially now, like a guy like, per se, Anthony Davis, who has always been in the conversation for a defensive player yeah. of the year, but has never gotten it, is probably never going to get one now because there's I don't see any way Anthony Davis plays above. 65 games in multiple regular seasons, maybe one or two for the rest of his career, but he's just not that guy. 
Yeah, the last time he AD had above uh, 65 games played in a season was in 2018. And you think about how far that is, and he's only getting older, and it's not like he's getting healthier. So I think I agree with you. It's definitely going to change the the picture a little bit for these award races. Um, but actually, that brings me to my next point about Rudy Gobert. He would have won the 2020 Defense Player of the Year over Giannis in 2020 um, yeah, had so this he, rule been implemented. Giannis wouldn't have been in that club with Hakeem and MJ. He wouldn't have been there. He wouldn't have been in the Defensive Player of the Year um, and MVP in the same season. He would, And that definitely just changes Giannis's legacy by a good bit. Yeah. I think, yeah, being in that club puts him in, in like such a special tier because it's like only three players that have ever done it. And then the next year he goes and he wins finals MVP and the championship. Like that, that might be one of the all time like back to back years in NBA history. It's up there with Hakeem in the 90s, you know, winning back to back championships. Um, it's up there with some of Jordan's best years, LeBron's years on the Heat going back to back, Kobe winning with Powell um back to back it's like it's definitely up there so i think that would definitely take Giannis down a notch in a lot of people's minds but i mean i think we would still recognize him to be an all-time great yeah i agree i have a question for you do you think this is going to change how the talking heads talk about like pre this rule versus post this rule when it comes to nba players and their legacies or do you think it's not going to take that much of an importance in i don't think it's going to take that much of an importance I think also because this, it's it's kind of a nuanced rule, you know. It you know you're not going to see ESPN or First Take or anybody talking about this uh, on the morning shows. You're not going to have Kendrick Perkins screaming about it because it's it's a very slight change. It's not a very like eye popping alteration to the rules or anything like that. Just but it really does impact a lot regulation. of things. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like it, it does actually impact a lot of things, but on the surface, it seems kind of like innocuous you know what i'm saying doesn't mm-hmm. seem like it would really shift that much but yeah i think that it's going to kind of fly under the radar and i think it's just going to more so change a bit of the culture which is always a bit harder to monitor and talk about um i guess we can kind of i just want to get your thoughts on these three i guess together because they're not too important um dennis Schroeder would have won uh six men of the year over Montrez harrell in 2020 DeJounte Murray would have won the most improved player over Ja Morant in 2022. And then Bam would have won the most improved player over Brandon Ingram in 2020. Any uh, thoughts on these? Yeah, I mean, I don't think any – we don't have to talk about, like, how does it change these people's legacies? Because it, yeah. really, it how doesn't does it change, change any of these Montrez guys. Montrez Harrell's legacy? <laughs> never, you know? No, but but the, the point being that these are all within the past three years. So it yeah. really is going to have a larger impact because – there's going to be a lot of people who are just going to be ineligible for these awards. Um, yeah. We'll we'll see how that goes. And there's a lot of factors. We've talked about those factors like of why players are more injury prone uh, and about all the, those sorts of things. We've already covered that in pre- previous pods. But I'm interested to see if players push through the pain a little more. Mm. I'm curious as well. Like, who do you like? Who do you think pushed for this? Do you think it was like teams and owners in the league pushing for this change or do you like because I, I think players had to have like conceded on this because I, I know that players wouldn't want this right or mm-hmm. am i missing well, something what do, you, what do you think i would agree this is one of those kinds of things where 
we've been talking about for so long as a fan base and as as a like media about load management and th this has been a big buzzword for i want to say the past like five years or so mm -hmm. um i really since i think Kawhi leonard like in the spurs i think was the really the start of this idea of load management um but ever since then i think there's just been such a negative connotation to players sitting um, and historically, they hadn't really done that. And also the way I think medical staff's work has changed. They've been more more cautious with players. Paul George has talked about like wanting to play, but the medical staff like wouldn't let him. Uh, so I think that all these sorts of precautions combined made the NBA realize that they're losing fans, losing people over the sort of thing. Like, like you were saying about Kat, talking about like there's somebody out there in the crowd tonight who spent their entire paycheck just to come see me. And yeah. if you're if you're going to watch, um, you know Anthony Edwards sit, Carl Anthony Towns sit, Rudy Gobert sit. Why even at that game? And mm -hmm. you don't know until you're there. Yeah, because they usually make these decisions very, very like close mm -hmm. to the game. Um, I wonder also about this rule because, I, like, trying to look at the downsides of it. What if we have like an incredible season from somebody, right? Like, I don't know, Luca's putting up forty points per game. Um, like 11 assists and 10 rebounds, like 40-point triple-double, and the Mavs are like the two-seed or something like that. He would obviously be the MVP frontrunner, but then what if, you know, 63 games into the season, he has a ankle injury, he's out for the rest of the regular season, can only come back deep into the playoffs, maybe. You know, like, do you not think that that could lead to a, a scenario in which there's a guy who's really deserving, but just barely misses the, the threshold. Yeah, probably. But, at, you know, at the end of the day, being healthy is a part of being an NBA player. Yeah, that is true. And I guess those, like, exceptions, I think, are more rare. And I think on, on average mm -hmm. and in general, it's going to be a, a good change. But Net positive, let, for sure. Let's keep talking about um, changes. This one is actually a pretty big one. Um and it's about an in-season tournament. I know we're in the middle of March, and I guess I think this this in-season tournament idea really like sprung up from March Madness because I think the league looked at you know the NCAA tournament and the 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 way it was able to draw fans, both casual and hardcore alike, to the sport and how exciting it was, and wanted to try and replicate it. So they propose and are now creating an in-season tournament, uh, which is gonna have eight teams competing in some single elimination tournament beginning in December. And all we really know so far is that the prize is going to be $500,000 per player on the winning team. So what are your initial impressions of this in-season tournament? Yeah. Well, I think we need to still find out more information on this whole thing. Cause it also does say he's that Adam Silver is trying to put more meaning to regular season games. So the, I think these are still regular season games for the most part that are being played. Um, leading up to this tournament. So I am interested to see, like, because I don't think $500,000 cash is enough to convince, like, all-stars. Like, LeBron James, the billionaire, is, oh, yeah, $500,000. <laughs> I need this. I mean, it yeah. really does, like, for role players and for, you know, your guys who are n not starting, this is a, a lot of money. Even for some guys that are starting, there's guys out there on Batmans. That's a third of the year's salary. That's absolutely a big deal to a lot most nba players but mm -hmm. the people you want to care most the stars are the people who this doesn't impact yeah so 
I'm interested to see how they make the stars care about this because I'm sure they're going to have to do something. There's they know that this is the the problem as of right now. Like, yeah, I would honestly be in favor of like it having some playoff implications. If you're going to have an in season tournament, might as well make it meaningful. Have the winner of the in season tournament get I don't know a buy in the first round or something like that or that's like, too big of a deal. I'm so, okay, not that like exactly necessarily i'm just saying it should have some playoff implications you know what i'm saying i, I, mean, I could get behind that but it needs to be a little more minor it, it can't be that big of a deal or it can't be like home court advantage even if you're like a lower seed because that's like too big of an impact i think but then the thing is if it's too low stakes then nobody's gonna care like right now the stakes are at pretty much zero like yeah. The reason why the NCAA championship is so exciting, why people get so invested, is because the stakes are at an all-time high. This is a lot of players' last games ever as a college basketball player. You know, it's, it's school's entire season on the line, and it's win or you go home, you know? So that's what's so exciting about it. When, you, when a player hits a crazy bu- buzzer beater, the reason why emotions are flowing is because they just bought themselves another chance to play with their brothers, you know? the the people they've played for the last four years and they just sent another team home and people like retiring essentially from the sport of basketball, um, at least at a collegiate level. But in the NBA, if the prize is like a, a check for $500,000, it's not going to have the same intensity. It's not going to have the same emotion and it's not going to have the same appeal. So if you want it to replicate even a fraction of what the NCAA tournament is, it has to have very impactful odds as for like the playoffs or, or something because it's the only way you can yeah i i liked the idea of an in-season tournament last year but as this season has gone on and i've seen how much the uh, the play-in tournament has impacted the standings and how tight everything is and how every single game seemingly matters towards the end of the season i, I think it was the same way in the middle of the season i think i felt the same exact way about the season so I don't know that I can say I, I like the idea of this in-season tournament anymore. I think we have a rare season in the fact that it's so close between pretty much every single team in the West. But I think the play-in tournament and the, the pressure that comes with that has created enough interest among fans to not need this sort of thing. I fully agree with you there. I think that the sort of single elimination tournament idea was already like pretty well done with the play-in. You know? It has everything you would want. Your season is on the line. You win, you keep playing, you go to the pl- the postseason. You lose, you're out, you're done. Um, and you get that in the play-in. And all these teams are obviously battling and, and fighting. But now we're just adding an in-season tournament just because it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. And I honestly think that the players won't... Like, obviously, the players, that, as you mentioned, the role players, the people on vet mins, the people on smaller deals, two-way contracts, etc. They're going to like this for the opportunity to up their payroll a little bit, make a little bit more money. But for a guy like LeBron James, a guy like Giannis, a guy like Kawhi Leonard, you're not going to care. It doesn't mean anything. And also, the only way you could make it meaningful is if, I feel like, if perhaps this had already existed and there was some sort of, like, ego to it or some pride in winning the Mm -hmm. in-season tournament. If it meant something to your legacy. Yeah, but there's no there's no precedent for it, so nobody's gonna care. It's not like you lose the championship, but you win the in season tournament. And people are like, oh well, but you know he won the in season tournament. It's it's fair, like you know he had a good season overall. No, that's not how it works. And I think that 
the implementation has to be perfect. Otherwise, I think it's just going to be kind of a, a hindrance when we're going to see some really ugly basketball. We, we do know that the NBA has been very experimental since Adam Silver took over, and this could be one of those things that flops. And if it does, then it'll probably be out by the next CBA. Yeah, and I think, honestly, I like the idea of testing these like more wide-scale changes in the G League. I, I remember they were like experimenting one time with a rule where if you get fouled, um, on a jump shot, you just have to make one free throw um, to get the points back because it would disincentivize people from like fouling someone from three because you would have to like make three shots versus um, making just one three to get those three points. You know what I'm saying? So that was a change. I don't think they're running with it anymore, but that was like an experimental kind like of change. Take fouls. Yeah, exactly. So that's I like the idea of testing these in the G League first and then moving it up if it's successful. I think Not the problem with just throwing it in. The problem with testing this out in the G League is this is very much predicated on fans. This whole idea of an in-season tournament and G mm. League is not really a very fan-heavy kind of. Yeah, league. I guess that's a, <laughs> that, that, that. That is a good point. They're like, you wouldn't really be able to gauge audience like perception or appeal if nobody's watching. And so I guess you do kind of have to throw it in and just see how it works. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's a good place to move on to uh, one of the last things in this uh, CBA, uh, which is veteran contract extensions. So teams are now going to be able to offer a, a larger percentage of the previous year's contract to their veterans on their roster. So to more so incentivize them to stay with their, the organization that has them. So it currently it was at 120% in this new CBA. Uh, has the 140 percent uh, of the previous year's contract. So um, I'm trying to think of examples of contracts that this would impact. Like, um, can you think of anybody for veterans who are up for an extension? Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. I can't think of any off the top of my head right now. It's always when you yeah. get put in the but, spot. But, but how do you think that impacts? Um, we we don't have to name any particular players but how do you think this impacts um small market teams large market teams um and do you think this is going to have any any impact on players staying with their teams well i think this is obviously intended to help small market teams and i appreciate that um you know from the league from the players trying to pay more emphasis to small market um teams i think would a guy like harrison barnes be up for something like this veteran perhaps yeah for extension yeah i was thinking about sacramento um, just now it's but, probably what, what i'm not sure veteran is defined as like a guy like that i think or like obviously harrison barnes is a veteran but i think it's just once you're off your rookie contract well yeah I'm, I'm just saying like i think yeah this is important for small teams to keep key players like i think what the impact this rule is going to have is teams being able to keep a guy like harrison barnes like not a star player but a guy who's like an important role player maybe a good 3 and D wing, maybe a good backup point guard, that kind of thing, versus the star player, superstar player. Because I think that it's a cultural thing in the NBA. We talk about it all the time. The rings culture has just made stars, um, and also player empowerment, it just made stars uh, want to leave their like the team that drafted them more than ever. So I think that if a player wants to leave with, for either to get – um, you know, just a better situation for them or to get a ring, like trying to team up with another star, they're going to do it regardless. And I don't think that like however much money you're going to give them is really going to make that much 
big of a difference. But I do think that when it's these guys more on the fringes, more on the outside, like Harrison, I don't know. I keep going back to Harrison Barnes is the only guy I can think of. If right he's now. your favorite player. <laughs> yeah. Most impactful guy on that 2015 Warriors team easily. Um, but yeah, no, I think that it's going to help smaller teams in, in a more minor way, but a very important one. So I'm, I'm a fan of this one. Do you, do you agree? Yeah, I think also combining this with the first rule we talked about with the like the salary cap, um, like basically so for larger teams not to be able to uh, pay all these guys to get the MLE, this is going to impact that too because for larger market teams using this like extension of their veterans is going to make it harder to also sign guys for the MLE. Uh, so there's definitely a, a lot harder of a balancing act for these bigger market teams. So I'm definitely a fan of this whole thing. Um, and before we move on to talking about the next thing segment, I yeah. I had a question for you. I also had a question for you, but you can oh, go yeah. first. Um, were you surprised that there was no sort of mention of like something having to do with player contracts, like Ben Simmons or Kyrie Irving, with like the whole mess and debacle that was like having to pay these guys just for sitting? And uh, the the decisions they they made, I think more so of Kyrie. Sorry, more so of Ben Simmons is the prime example. I think Kyrie had his moments, um, but were you surprised to not see any specific sort of rules implemented about um, maybe giving back some more power to the owners? Um, I honestly don't think so. I think that like you look at Kyrie and Ben Simmons as really the exceptions, and these this agreement is governing the entire NBA. And so if you think about it, it's like two guys out of how many players in the NBA, like 600, 450. I don't, I don't really know the exact number of players. But, you know, it's, it's really not that many. It's a pretty minuscule amount. And so I think what that is teaching owners of these franchises is to just be more careful, to teach GMs to, like, be wary if we were giving a big deal to and pay more mind to, like, the off-the-court issues too. Because what that has taught us is these are honestly just as important, if not sometimes more important, then they're on the court performance as well. Um, and so maybe there could have been a, a stipulation in there. I don't really know how you govern that per se or how you regulate it. But yeah, honestly, the, the, now that you mention it, it is a bit yeah, surprising because, because I would have thought that owners would want to ensure I definitely that thought that. I definitely thought the owners would push to be fearful of that kind of scenario happening again, give them mm. some power to like – maybe gain a certain amount of their salary cap back, like the ability to like kind of terminate a contract or fire players for a certain amount of misconduct. And obviously that's very vague, but if it was more specified and the players felt like as long as they were doing their job, they wouldn't be in any jeopardy. Yeah. You know, so I I was surprised something like that didn't get implemented. Uh, But what was your question that you were going to ask? My question was this, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, um, but who do you think like won? If if you view the CBA as an agreement mm-hmm. between the franchise owners and the league and players sort of battling to get their way in this agreement, who do you think came out on top? Uh, I'd say this was a win for small market teams and for more so the, the owners side. Yeah. Uh, I think there weren't pretty, I don't think there were any sort of stipulations or any part of this that I think players would necessarily be super excited about uh, going back to like the Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving thing. I think players knew they were going to have to give up some kind of power based on the amount they, the other players were abusing the power they had. So I think that this was a balance and the 
the players who were in charge of governing the the players' side, the union, understood that they were going to need to give back some power just because of some some specific scenarios that had happened in the past few years. Mm-hmm. Um, I just also just a couple of things I want to mention uh, in closing. Uh, just concerning the like sort of MLE rule or like the the rule about the luxury tax. A couple changes that wouldn't have been allowed to happen from last year was Golden State getting Dante DiVincenzo, mm-hmm. the Bucks getting Joe Ingles, Boston getting Danilo Gallinari, or Brook- Brooklyn getting Patty Mills. Lakers uh, getting Lonnie Walker. Yeah. So it was a, it's a lot of deals like that that wouldn't have been able to go down. I also wanted to mention that players can now smoke marijuana. So J.R. Smith opening the door for him to return to the league. <laughs> I was gonna, uh, J.R. Smith must be molding. He must be so mad that that wasn't implemented when he was there. Yeah. <laughs> but can you imagine That's how true. many players can start showing up to take the games a little high? Mm. <laughs> like, uh, that, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a few who start showing up a little high. Oh, also, I, I didn't actually know this. I just found that out. Um, that players can now, or teams can now have um, three two-way contracts on their team, not just two anymore. Yeah, yeah. So basically, I, I saw that. So Adam Silver was essentially trying to say, we've had a lot of success stories on two-way contracts, like Gabe Vincent, Duncan Robinson, Alex Caruso, Austin Reeves, um, yeah. Lou Dort. There's a lot of guys in recent years who have made their way into the NBA off of these contracts. And we want to give more opportunity to those guys. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think, I think that's definitely a net positive. Yeah, definitely. So I, don't, I, think... I don't know if that creates six, 16 roster spots or if it just creates one of the 15 into another two way. Yeah. I, I would assume it'd be 16. That would be yeah. pretty unfortunate if like <laughs> the teams have to cut one of their players. because <laughs> They got to be a two way guy now or just send them to the G league anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think we, it's good. We we're good to move on. Um, mm-hmm. The CBA thing, I think we can't really understate um, how important it is. Like, I think that it's going to have a lot of uh, repercussion, a lot of ripple effects over the next few years. So we might Absolutely. come back to talking about this. But anyways, let's move on to talking about uh, March Madness. We kind of alluded to it earlier with the in-season tournament, but we did see the final four play out. And for once, our predictions actually came true. It's, yes. it's an incredible sight. So we're going to have a national championship of UConn versus San Diego State. Um, let's jump and talk about this SDSU game first because they beat uh, FAU, and it was in a pretty insane game. Like yeah. SDSU came back and then won it at the buzzer off a jumper, a mid-range shot, and the, the guy's foot was like like half an inch from stepping out of bounds too. It's like a storybook ending. Um, I wasn't able to catch this one live, but I did watch it back later. Um, and it was an incredible game. What did you think of this one, Hunter? Yeah, I was very fortunate because I for- totally forgot March Madness was happening yesterday. I just totally blanked. I was cooking dinner and I sat down with my roommate as I was starting to eat my dinner. And we were both like, what sports are on right now? And I was like, I don't know. The Lakers game is starting soon. You need to check. And like we we're just going through, and I literally said to him, I said, "Huh, there's no good sports on on a Saturday night." <laughs> and then he flipped the channel, and it was SDSU versus FAU, and I was like, "Oh my god, I totally forgot." I started watching about uh, like six minutes left in the first half, so I saw pretty much all the important part of the game. Um, and FAU was really kicking SDSU's butt for a, a good portion of the game, and FA or sorry, SDSU didn't get into it until there were about ten minutes left in the game. Um, they really went on the run. I think it, they went on like a 
I'm going to say like a 15 to two or a 10 to two run or something like that and got the momentum. And FAU was able to hold on for a really long time, start going back and forth a little bit. And finally with like five seconds left, you know, SDSU has the ball and we all saw the play that happened. It was just an awesome moment to watch. Um, yeah. Especially because I'm rooting for SDSU, you know, shout out to my uncle who went to SDSU. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, like, that's just an awesome storybook ending. And it's crazy how, like, this seemingly always happens in March Madness. Like, one of the, one of these kinds of things happens in, like, a Final Four in, you know, in, like, the the last game. Like, it, it just always seems to happen like this, which is awesome. Yeah, I think it's crazy. That's genuinely not even an exaggeration. One of the greatest shots in basketball history. Like, literally the stakes, just the, the way the shot played out. It's crazy that we saw that last night. Um like, it's crazy. It's not very often that you're able to watch history live. I mean, I wasn't able to, unfortunately. I had other commitments. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, good for you, Hunter, that you're able to see that one. Um, and it was a crazy game. Honestly, big props to SDSU for coming back. I think it was the fifth biggest comeback in Final Four history. Um, and to have the temerity to stay in it and uh, put your head down and just keep fighting. Uh, good for SDSU. But unfortunately... I do not think they will be able to beat UConn. We'll, we'll talk about this next game right now. Uh, who oh, beat first, Miami? Sorry, oh, I yeah. just want to give like a, a shout-out to FAU for getting this far, being the ninth seed. That was pretty incredible. I don't think a ninth seed has ever been in the championship game, but they, they did an incredible job in, in this uh, tournament, and they definitely got a lot of eyes on them. Yeah, no, FAU is definitely a team to watch out for now. Like I think a lot of the players were talking about in the post-game, like, you know, it sucks that we're out, but we definitely put FAU in the map and we're going to fight to be here next year. Um, I don't think they're going to be there next year, respectfully. Like, <laughs> you know how they're always, talk- you know, they're always talking about, like, and we're going to be right in this exact same spot next year. I was like, I do not think yeah, so. Just, just like, like Princeton, uh-huh. Yep. No, I don't know about that. But, yeah, good for FAU. Um, yeah. Always cool to see, like, a Cinderella story like that. Um, but, yeah, talking about UConn. They like smashed Miami. It wasn't even a really a close game ever. Um, the closest it ever got was like ten points. Miami never led the game, um, and UConn ended up winning this one by I think twelve, which or thirteen. Funny enough, that's the closest game they've had all March Madness. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they keep winning by I think like over twenty in every single game. They look by far and away like the best team here. So coming to the national championship. This is really like a David and Goliath type of type of matchup right here. But uh, did you catch that UConn game, Hunter? What did you think? If you saw, uh, I unfortunately didn't watch the game live. I saw the score and I was like, it's not worth it. Um, yeah. But I will. I will say, just UConn definitely has looked like the dominant player throughout this entire tournament. Like you were saying, um, uh, shout out to Miami. I feel like they were always kind of in the conversation, like as a, a good basketball team. So they're probably going to be here again. Um, yeah. But uh, like, but they, I know they just shot terribly in the game. I feel, I think, or, sorry, I think they shot 30% from the field. Uh, UConn shot 50% from the field and just, you do the math. It's going to be a blowout yeah. no matter what. Well, um, yeah, I was watching this one. I just want to give a lot of credit to the UConn <laughs> defense. I think that coming into the game, Miami had one of the better offenses in the, in the country. And so for UConn to really, you know, hold on to under 60, it was pretty impressive. So honestly, I think the UConn just on both ends of the floor looks 
pretty much untouchable. And so I, I will think, say, yeah, go ahead. oh, I also saw their their rebounding in the clips I did see seemed very dominant. Like they they were really controlling the boards, and yeah. and that played a big part in the, in this game in general. I mean, both teams had a lot of offensive rebounds, but um, like you were saying, that defense, um, UConn was able to really just control that glass, keep Miami out of it. Yeah. And, um, I mean, under coming into this matchup, SCSU versus UConn for the national championship, the game's going on tomorrow. What do you think is going to happen? You know, I, f- I feel like it's a Huskies by 10 kind of game. Yeah. I'm, I'm feeling the Huskies by 10. But, but you know, we're, we're always bad with predictions. SDSU by 50, baby. Let's go. No. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I feel like this is my prediction would be the Huskies are going to win uh, like 74 to 63. I think that this one is actually going to be the closest UConn gets pushed here. I think that mm. with it being on the biggest stage, I think that honestly is going to give SCSU a bit of a leg up because everyone is picking against them. I think that SCSU is going to have a bit of that fire, a bit of that underdog spirit. And I think, when you're playing without the pressure on one of these biggest stages, it's all honestly a lot easier. Um, yeah, all the pressure have, is definitely on the Huskies. Yeah, because everyone is expecting this to be a UConn domination, like and, and just to cap off their perfect performance throughout the tournament. Um, so I think SCSU is going to come out. They might like come up this game and and like come out ahead of of UConn, um, just riding that momentum, playing with no expectations, playing free, playing loose. Um, I want to like something is telling me that SDSU is going to win this one, man. I want to, I want to say SDSU, but I don't know, man. I want to be wrong. I don't want to be wrong either, but like, (laughs) I also don't want this to be a situation where we both pick UConn and it's like, oh, we should have seen this SDSU victory coming from a mile away. Um, okay, I'm gonna go, yeah, I'm gonna go SDSU wins this one. In it's a close game. They win by like two. Oh, okay. Are is it is it going to be uh, a clutch shot by SDSU or is it going to be a missed shot by UConn? I think UConn's going to have a chance to win it, and they just don't. I think that mm, I like yeah, that. I like I like that. Yeah, that's that's a, gonna, a good take. Are you I'm go not changing SDSU my take. Well? I'm no, I'm not changing my take. I'm I'm gonna still take the Huskies by by ten. About okay. About ten. But I, I do like your take. That would be a much right. more fun game. Yeah, I hope it's a fun one. I could also be wrong, and then the Huskies just win by 20, and here we are just sitting like, oh, well, <laughs> there, there was March. But, yeah, I guess on, on that note, that's a good place to call this one. Bit of a shorter episode, but I think an important one none, nonetheless. Uh, next time, we can recap the national championship game and also talk about all things NBA uh, as we get closer and closer to the play-in and postseason. So thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you all next week. Take care. Peace. Bye-bye.